Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today's title is Brokenness, God's Strange Pathway to Greatness. Actually, it'll be the part one of a, of a two-part series. Now, I spent the early years of my leadership preparing as best I could. I, I accumulated as much knowledge as I could, uh, skills, experiences as I could accumulate, from many arenas. And my prayer was that basically no person, no difficulty, no circumstance would break me. Nothing would paralyze me. Uh, I meditated on, on and memorized verses like, you know, the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me and and greater is in is he that's in me than in the world. And verses of David from 2 Samuel, like, with your help, O God, I can advance against a troop. I could scale a wall. And I was determined that I'd remain stable, regardless of, again, what came my way. But that preparation uh, left out one very important truth about uh, God's path to grow us into spiritual authority and leadership, and that was the place of brokenness and weakness and vulnerability. And so the result was when some storms did hit me, I just wasn't ready. So let me begin this by uh, th- this podcast by asking you uh, five questions uh, that uh, measuring it on a scale of one to five about how where you are on the scale of doing with regards to brokenness and, and weakness and vulnerability. So for example, I often admit when I'm wrong, uh, readily asking forgiveness from others. How would, you, how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five? One being not very true, five being very true. Yeah, I, I, I ask forgiveness from others readily. I can admit when I'm wrong. Uh, another one would be, I'm able to f- speak freely about my weaknesses, my failures, and my mistakes. How would you rate yourself? Or others would describe me as approachable, gentle, open, and transparent. Or those close to me would say, I'm not easily offended or hurt. Or I'm consistently open to hearing and applying constructive criticism and feedback that others might have for me. Or how about this one? I'm rarely judgmental or critical of others. Or then finally, others would say that I am slow to speak and quick to listen and very good at seeing things from their perspective. Uh, actually, that's part of a uh, an assessment called uh, the Emotionally Healthy Personal Assessment. Am I an emotional child, adolescent, baby, or adult? can actually be found on our website. It's part of a much larger whole. And I encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org and check that full assessment out. But it's got a little section there on weakness and vulnerability. Uh, God built into the whole fabric of our humanity that we be broken by life. Uh, there's a whole theology of weakness uh, found in Scripture, from actually from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We find it right there in the Garden of Eden after uh, you know sin comes into the human race. In Genesis chapter 3, God builds into the fabric of the world something called thorns and thistles. Uh, in other words, that all of life, God says, from this point forward, after... Uh, our first parents rebel against God and go their own way. Uh, God says at this point forward, life's going to be painful, difficult, and frustrating. And he releases what's called the curse uh, into the world in two primary areas, relationships and work. He says, now all relationships are going to be marked by pain uh, and misunderstanding. There'll be disappointment with people in, in friendships, in workplaces, in churches, in families, in marriages, and parenting. And intimacy or or, or you know, connection is going to be replaced with manipulation and power struggles and put downs and seductions and withholding and defensiveness. Loneliness will mark us. 
Uh, and the same thing, not just with, with relationships being marked by thorns and thistles, great as things may be for a season, but so is work. And God created us not just to love, he created us to work. And that work too is going to have frustration. It's going to have failure. It's going to have thorns and thistles. In other words, even if you accomplish goals, and I accomplish goals, we're never fully satisfied. That's not going to happen this side of heaven. God has set up life in such a way that uh, there's a there's an incompleteness. There's a a restlessness. There there's a sense where all symphonies remain unfinished, no matter how much we we love life. And why? Because God released that curse to drive us to our needs, to, to break us, that we'd recognize our need for a savior. The problem is that instead of being broken by life uh, and thus coming to Christ, many of us we fight it, we flee it, we 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 freeze. Uh, we hide and we, we try to do things like we bury our pain in some kind of addictive behavior. I mean, life is difficult, right? Life is hard. And so we want to avoid some of the pain of life by, by fleeing, by fleeing it. So uh, I, I know, for example, uh, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company that was very successful uh, in his field. However, he was a, quite a failure at home and in his marriage in particular. And so what did he do? He just, uh, he fled to work. Uh, where he could control it and not have to experience at least the feeling of thorns and thistles. He could make a lot of money. I mean, it's not, it's not that uncommon for even people to zealously be serving God in church ministry to avoid unpleasant realities in their interior life or sometimes even in their home. I mean, how often does a, a mom or even a dad use children to not look at the broken areas of their lives? Or, uh, again, so we flee from the thorns and thistles by finding some other way around having to embrace our weakness. And some folks just get angry all the time. They're fighting. They're, they're bitter and violent and life's not going my way. And, and, uh, we got a lot of angry people floating around, uh, who are followers of Jesus and, and others are just hiding. You know, we kind of put up a, a false self and, and we build our lives in such a way to cover up our, our cracks and our damage and our fractures and frailness and imperfections. And, um, you know, there was a time years ago where I, uh, Early on, where our church was growing, I, I was, I had a, I, I had in my brain something about brokenness and weakness, but I sure didn't have it in my life and my heart. And I remember traveling at and speaking at some conferences to other pastors and coming to a place and realizing that I had some real stuff to deal with in my own life and that uh, I was exaggerating more than I wanted to admit. And I needed to pull back because I was in dangerous, dangerous territory. Uh, this theology of weakness isn't just found in Genesis. I mean, just look at the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Corinthians. I mean, Paul has a whole theology of weakness. In fact, he bases his authority as an apostle over and against some other leaders by boasting about his weakness. I mean, Paul wrote half the New Testament. And if anyone had authority as an apostle, it was Paul. Uh, but he says, the reason I have the authority I have is because of my brokenness and weakness. And at, cer- at a certain point in the church in Corinth, some, quote, super apostles emerged. These are guys who had signs and men and I don't know about women who had a ministry of signs and wonders and revelations and had extraordinary speaking gifts and claimed a special, unique uh, authority from God and connection to God. And uh, and, and they looked down at Paul because he wasn't very uh, sharp. He wasn't, he didn't wow you and pizzazz you and, and the people were drawn to these super apostles. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and uh, he, he speaks to them about the nature of real power. 
Now think about it. I mean, if you're a celebrity in our culture or physically beautiful or wealthy or a politician, a professional athlete, an accomplished lawyer or a doctor, you're considered strong. I mean, brilliant people dazzle us uh, with our intellect. I mean, we go to churches sometimes that, that give us a sense of, of power and strength because of their numbers and their buildings and their finance, uh, and, and we're impressed. And, and yet Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 in particular it's also found in other places in, in the book of First and Second Corinthians. He lays out a whole uh, basis of his authority and in, in, in the and the authenticity of his leadership, based not on his success, not on his gifts, but about his weaknesses. And he writes about this thorn in the flesh that he couldn't get rid of. And scholars aren't sure what was the thorn in the flesh that he had, and maybe he had an eye problem or a speech defect or epilepsy. Uh, maybe it was agony of people misunderstanding him, and some said he had a terrible temper. But Paul says, I have a thorn in my flesh. And that was like a stake in the ground used in battle to slow an enemy. Paul says, I got a stake cutting right through me in the center of my being. And Paul says, it torments me. Uh, even though it, it torments me, Paul says, it's a gift given to me by God. He goes, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is efficient for you. My powers made perfect in weakness. And uh, Paul wants everyone to understand that his badge of authority and apostleship is, and is is the weakness of himself so that the real power of Christ can flow in and through him. And, uh, you know, if Paul was going to do a pastor's conference and talk about how he planted all these churches all over the world, uh, his, his, his message probably wouldn't be, you know, here's five steps to build a great church. Um, no, it's if you, God could use me, he can use anybody. And uh, God moves through weakness. And so this idea of weakness and brokenness as God's pathway to success, it's so foreign to everything in our culture that it's very hard to get a grasp out of it. Uh, I mean, let me, just, let me just try to like just give you a couple of contrasts here uh, about ways to live your life because it's easy to be, uh, I'll call it on one end, proud and defensive versus broken and vulnerable in a very practical way. Uh, so, for example, it's very easy to walk around guarded and protective about my imperfections and flaws. I don't want you to see it. Uh, versus being transparent and weak and disclosing myself. I mean, that's, it's just scary. Um, so, I, I, you know, for years I focused on all the positive and strong, successful parts of myself. I, I, I preach about how God had led me through this and victories here. But it was very hard to shift into the weak, needy, or limited parts of myself. I mean, I it's it's easy to be defensive. It's easy to be easily offend, offended. Uh, it's very challenging to be approachable uh, and open to input, especially when someone's saying things that I, I don't like. Uh, it's it's very natural to focus on flaws and mistakes of other people versus my own. It's very easy to give my opinion a lot, even when I'm not asked, uh, versus listening. You know, and being curious and soft. Uh, it's it's easy to want to pontificate my opinions on what seems right and which is good and versus talking about it, you know, I don't know, or I was wrong. Uh, it's easy to give explanations and answers to people, hoping to fix them and change them. It's another thing to say I'm going to be present with people and I, I don't really know. Um, it, it's very difficult to let things go uh, because it's much easier to show you that I'm right when someone points out that I'm wrong. And it's very easy to be concerned about how people are perceiving me, what they're looking at when they see me versus, you know what, 
uh, being open and honest about my own vulnerability. And you see, if, if we're looking about how big things are and how impressive they are, whether it's our church or organization or our prosperity, we're missing the very nature of the kingdom itself. I mean, we the whole the whole ministry of Jesus, I mean, the first miracle of Jesus was the humility. Well, one of the first miracles, as some scholars would say, it's the first miracle of Jesus, was he goes down with the human race into the waters of repentance of John the Baptist. Uh, he, he chooses to go under the water, even though John the Baptist doesn't want to baptize him. And he's without sin, and yet he identifies with us in humility. He enters our brokenness, and then he actually, he's constantly choosing a low road at every point, and, and he actually dies between two thieves, uh, humiliated on a cross, absolutely naked. And he, he, he's consistently talking to the disciples about, you know, saying no to ambition, no to the world's status and greatness. In fact, he says, abandon the quest for status entirely. He says, the craving to impress and for honor is just contrary to my whole spirit, says Jesus. Even though the whole culture is moving in that direction, he goes, shun those leadership models, those secular leadership models. And he invites us to be like little children, you know, op- open the new ideas, like little Kids, six, seven, eight years old, we're listening, we're small, we're flexible, we're allowing ourselves to receive. I mean, I, Jesus is a humble God. And that's why pride and being a Christian leader is so uh, it's such an oxymoron, because Jesus is a humble God. I mean, the turning point uh, of my Christian life actually happened uh, in, the, in this realization that the pathway to greatness in Jesus is the opposite of the world. It actually is through brokenness, weakness, and vulnerability. So I began, it was actually over two decades ago now, almost two and a half decades ago, when I actually began to shift my preaching. Uh, and it was really hard. I, I was schooled in doing great exegesis, great study of scripture, uh, and then to preach it. And of course, I'd make applications to people's lives, but it wasn't coming out of my own brokenness with the text. Listen, the Bible is not us asking questions of God. The Bible is about, about scripture and God asking questions of us. And so I began to approach, you know, text. Let's say something on, on say it was a message on giving uh, and trusting God with finances. You know, I could tell some great stories about how people had given money and God had blessed it. Uh, tenfold, myself included. I would give cute examples of how my daughter stole a French fry at the McDonald's, and but yet it's it, it's it's I'm, I'm mine. It's I'm holding on to it. And make a point about stewardship, but that's very different than coming at a text about giving and money. And ta- and I found in nineteen you know late nineteen nineties, like oh my gosh, I struggle with trusting God with money and security. And why is that going back to my own family of origin? Oh, yes. Um, it, am I going to be okay as I get older? And am I going to have enough money? And I don't want to give. I don't want to even pray about this money, God, where it's going to go. And But to begin to share honestly about my own struggles in every sermon completely changed my preaching. My wife used to say, Pete, there's, there's two Pete Scazzaro sermons. Uh, if you look at you know, over, over you know, 25, 30 years, there's pre-emotionally healthy discipleship and there's post. Uh Pre, you weren't doing brokenness and vulnerability. Post, you were. And it changed. It was always a highlight of your whole sermon was how that interacted with your own struggle with God. That's why we like to say, you know, who you are is more important than what you do. You know, I love, you know, I love what a a good friend, pastor of mine shared from the South. And 
He said one of the impacts of emotionally healthy discipleship in his whole church was that it enabled a person who was president or and founder and CEO of a company to actually be in the same small group with an ex-addict and wouldn't even blink an eye. Why? Because uh, emotional healthy discipleship is about creating a culture. It's a whole theology of brokenness. It's a whole theology of vulnerability is what we're after. And uh, that's why Paul writes about how, for him, he grew in his sense of weakness and, and sinfulness. Uh, if you look at scripture, for example, uh, in Galatians 2, Paul writes about, he's been a Christian at that point for about 14 years. He says, as for those who are held in high esteem, referring to the apostles, whatever they were makes no difference for me. He appears almost proud and headstrong about the other apostles. But six years later, he writes, I'm the least of all the apostles. So he's growing. Five years after that, he says, I'm, I'm less than the least of all God's people. And so at the end of his life, two years before his death, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. And you look at Paul's life, he's got this increased sense of growing in his weakness and his sinfulness. And, and of course, with the love of God, and it's changing him as a leader. Part of the way we know that we're maturing and growing in Jesus is we're actually less proud, we're less defensive, uh, and we're, we're actually more broken, uh, more in touch with that uh, and changed. And I, I mean, I, I see it in myself. The kind of people that you want to give authority to in your own leadership actually are those who are broken. And who are weak, not those who are polished and swift and have great degrees. I used to hire people with tremendous resumes. I was so impressed with resumes in my early years. Not that I'm against resumes, and and um, but a great resume doesn't mean brokenness. And I found out the hard way that the people I want to be leading and speaking, at least uh, for Jesus in our co- church context, was I need broken people who can share honestly that people can connect with, not the most intelligent one or most scholarly one. And so I, I even wrote down some names here and I, I had to make a choice. And it wasn't those who were wise by the world standards. And if you'll make that choice, uh, it'll ripple through your leadership and your culture and your teams. I've had more than one person say to me, yeah, but Pete, you know, if I'm gonna be broken and weak and go first, I'll get slammed, you know, I'll get stepped on. And uh, what I want to say to you is, and, and don't worry about that. Uh, I'm not saying be imprudent, but God's power really is made perfect in weakness. The glory of Jesus, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, rests on those who are weak and broken. And uh, you watch the impact. It just creates a whole environment, an entirely different uh, feel and aroma in a room when somebody is coming out of brokenness. So before I go on, let me just mention three steps, which I, I would consider uh, critical to living or embodying brokenness and being able to stay on that pathway, which Jesus will make you great, even though it's the opposite of the world's way. Uh, the first is that you, you be a vor- voracious learner, especially learning about yourself. I, I remember, uh, I, I, I can think of multiple people who gifted and in a role, but they're not learners. Uh, they're just not learning about their field, whether it's, you can name it as children or youth or, or pastoring or leadership. They're just kind of like, they got it. And there's not that hunger, voraciousness to learn and grow. They're kind of set. And I put it even more than that, learning in your field about yourself, 
be a voracious learner. That's why 360s are so phenomenal. Uh, 360s, you're getting input from everybody around you about, you know, is, uh, how do you experience me? Is there anything you want to share with me that might improve my following of Jesus and my leadership? That is a very sca- scary question, that, that, that ability to be approachable. And let me ask you, how approachable are you? And I, I, it's a, it's, it is a 360s are scary, but I'm actually convinced I'm actually moving to a place where uh, I want to find a way to make them more scalable. But I, I think they're critical for all of us in leadership that we're getting the kind of feedback in a structured, safe way about how people are experiencing us. Experiencing us. Uh, again, it may be things as simple as Myers Briggs, uh, Enneagram, sharing out of therapy, but but being a voracious learner about yourself. I mean, I'm learning about myself like like now. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm amazed at some of the broken parts of me that are emerging. And I am 23 years in this emotionally healthy discipleship journey. Uh, and I am learning about new levels of my own brokenness. Well, my second big step is not to be a voracious learner, which now relates to what I just shared with you, is to share your shadow frequently and specifically. Share your shadow frequently and specifically. I mean, everyone has great weaknesses. There are no exceptions. Uh, we tend to I- idealize leaders because they, we think, oh, they don't have weaknesses. They're tremendous. Uh, you may think that right now about me that because you're hearing me on a podcast or hearing some sermon saying, wow, Scazzaro's not like the rest of us. Oh, yes, I am. I'm just like everybody else. I've got tremendous brokenness inside of me. And and and, and uh, I mean, I, my own vacation, just this last two weeks, I, mean, I, uh, I was doing an exercise on looking at my next year breaking up my year into days and uh, to my, my four main priorities. And I was ready to launch in this whole new you know initiative. And uh, I, I laid out the year and I knew something wasn't quite right. And I just bounced it off Jerry because she's really good at limits and I'm not very good at limits. And she looked at it and she said, yeah, Pete, what happened to the priority that you shared a year ago that this was our number one priority, uh, you know, as a ministry? And and I was just like, she goes, if you do this road of this huge project, and actually it was a writing project, she goes, if you go full scale on that, you're not going to have time for what you've said is the most important priority for the last two years, especially last year. She goes, I don't see how it's going to get done. Okay? And she goes, I'm, you can do whatever you like. She goes, I'm, I'm open. And I mean, I'm not it's your life, but it seems to me you're not going to be able to do that. And I just was like, it was like God just came to me. It was a five to 10 minute conversation, but I saw my my... One of my major weaknesses, my major broken parts, and that is limits. And the reason limits are so difficult for me is because my family had no limits. I was out, completely out of control and chaotic. And so it's always been a challenge for me. And I, fortunately, I know that about myself. So I built in uh, a couple of checkpoints on those plans I'd made over the vacation in the summer to see, is this realistic? And I think it was Jerry and then it was somebody else who saw it and this, they both said, it doesn't seem realistic. And and they were they were so right once I stepped back and I was like, oh, Scazzaro, you are you're so broken. And so in other words, to not just hide it like it never happened. Here I can just say, hey, I got these plans for the year and boom, 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 and not acknowledge the fact of, hey, to my team, which I did today, but my own brokenness. <laughs> but sharing your shadow frequently, frequently and specifically, it keeps you honest. It keeps you grounded. Uh remember. Once in a while, foolish people can do a wise thing, 
But don't ever forget that wise people can do some very foolish things. Just remember Solomon, one of the wisest men on earth that ever lived. So it's not just you want to be a voracious learner and share your shadow, but you want to learn contentment. Paul got that. You know, he calls, I, 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 you know, I've learned the secret of being content, he writes, in any and every situation. And you want to, by the grace of God, eliminate, you know, envy. Because your ministry or your work may seem small. You want to, of course, be faithful and stewarding it and growing it as best you can. But remember, God's in the timetable. God's in the slow. Jesus spent 30, you know, 20, 30 years in anonymity. Elijah in the desert, Moses in the desert, you know, up to age 80. The struggle of contentment, we can't see this big picture. And so just resting content in what seems so mustard seed, what seems so weak, let me encourage you, ask God to teach you to be content in that small, in the little, because as Paul learned, the seasons of great plenty and there are seasons of great scarcity. Uh, but that struggle is actually with God because Again, God's pathway to greatness, what is it? It really is through brokenness. Again, just think of it for a minute. In the crucifixion, we see the nature of God revealed. And what is that? Jesus died naked, shamed, rejected, misunderstood, horrific. You know, he wasn't fit for life. I mean, the whole purpose of the cross for the Romans was to eliminate the crucified person as a member of the human race. I mean, here's the sinless son of God accursed. So we, we renounce the, the world bigger, better, faster, but when we follow Jesus and we see Jesus, you know, God revealed in the crucifixion and we, we follow the way of brokenness because it's in death we find resurrection. Remember Jesus' first words in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is making, making a point. The start, middle, and end of every disciple's life is to be poor in spirit. Now, that word for poor in spirit is the word for total destitution. It's, 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 it's to be couched in a corner as a beggar. Uh, and the issue here is not material wealth, but it's, it's, there's no word for poor in the Greek language than the word for poor in spirit in Greek. It, it's, it's a word for brokenness. Uh, you have no resources in and of yourself. This is about a poor person who can't get by, doesn't even, have the, doesn't even have the energy to go to the restaurant to get the scraps from the tables or the garbage heap. Uh, there's actually another Greek word for poor. It's a poor person who manages to make a living. You go through the garbage every day, you're poor, but you're not broken. You know, I know I'm poor, but I'll keep going. No, Jesus is talking about here, blessed are the poor in spirit, is I don't even have the energy to go through the garbage. I've got nothing. I'm at rock bottom. I've been stripped. I'm empty-handed. I'm waiting on God alone for hope. I can't live without God's supernatural help. Without God, I'm lost, helpless, and hopeless. Friends, when we talk about brokenness. Imagine Jesus trying to tell us to the 12 disciples. You know, they're saying this is ridiculous. You know, Jesus is trying to, to shock us into the realization of, of the, the pathway to leadership is poverty of spirit. Now, you can live with your fists clenched and your arms folded and nothing gets in. You can, can imagine a beggar. People are walking by. Can you imagine a beggar being critical and judgmental of others? I wasn't always like this. I went to college. Or, you know what? You have an attitude. Keep your money. Or I'm not a loser like these other beggars. Or I earn more money than these other guys over here. You know, I'm tired of waiting on you, God. No, Jesus is saying, listen... That blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, are those who are at rock bottom, broken, stripped. Now you can, you may have a lot of wealth and health, and maybe God's given you some wonderful position. It's all a gift, but in your interior, you want to ask God to grow you and grow me 
in poverty of spirit because Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything in heaven is yours. The supernatural power of God is all yours. Listen, pride is found in every corner of the universe. Culture, politics, workplaces, neighborhoods, shopping, sports teams. It's found in, in, in 10-year-old birthday parties, homeless shelters, prisons. And But Jesus says, no, no, we are like Luke 18. Remember the Pharisee and the, and the publican, the tax collector, come before God. And the Pharisee is proud because he feels good about himself and his performance. And he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like so-and-so and looks down at other people. He forgets that he too is of the earth. He's, he's not hum- humble. The word for humble is hummus. It's from the ground and he's wearing a mask. So listen, if everything's going well in your life and everything's going great, sometimes that could be the worst thing for, for you. It could be the worst thing for me if I'm not grounded. And sometimes Jesus turns the world upside down. Actually, he turns it right side up. What the world calls up, Jesus calls down. With a, with, sometimes the world calls success, Jesus calls failure. So listen, the entry, the entry way to the Christian life is, is brokenness. It's, it's weakness. The ending of the Christian life is brokenness and weakness. The pathway to greatness is brokenness and weakness. And we want to peel those layers off. Let me invite you to, that Jesus righteousness, Jesus love, it's enough. And that you can trust him. But it's a strange way to greatness and leadership. And I know the, the wider culture is not encouraging you to this strange pathway. But it's a pathway that leads to life. So again, let me invite you to join us on this journey of emotionally healthy leadership and discipleship. Again, on our front page of our website at emotionallyhealthy.org is a personal assessment. It's free. It takes about 20 minutes. And it'll help you get a sense of where are you on that pathway? Am I an emotional baby, infant, adolescent, or adult? And let me invite you to, to join us in learning more about the discipleship course, which is the core of what we want to bring to the world, because it's bringing a culture of brokenness and vulnerability to the church through a rich, powerful, robust theology of everything from Sabbath to dark nights at a soul to embracing grief and loss to all underlying it all is we want to live out the brokenness and poverty of spirit that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. God bless everybody. It's been a joy to be with you. I pray you have a great day.